This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Um, I'm going to jump back into uh, this series called Love Illuminated. We're literally doing a study on the book of 1 John. And so just to prep you for this week, you can read chapter 3 this week, uh, chapter 3. We're actually going to deal with just the first half of chapter 3 today, and I'm going to deal with the last half of chapter 3 next week. Um, but I, I want to start by doing something I, I rarely do, but I, I want to do it. It's family day, right? And uh, families are a blessing. Um, I've been stumbling across... Uh, a bunch of articles in the last couple of weeks that a um, couple just started were just kind of random that I got in my email and I started reading and it was talking about um, some of the effects of uh, psychological and emotional effects on children who are either fostered or adopted or part of kind of blended or broken families and it just absolutely caught my attention and as I kept reading I started to realize what a powerful ministry that someone could have who fosters, who adopts children. And so I've never done this before, but I want to do something for the first time. And I'm going to call it, for family day, the hero of the house, if that's all right. Is that okay? And I want to just honor Bobby this morning, who is the most incredible woman of God. She is awesome. She is awesome. Bobby fosters five children, including an infant, all by herself. She's taking over Wolf Island. <laughs> Literally one acre at a time, one step at a time, one child at a time. Um, but as I've been reading these articles this week and have been seeing the negative effects of fostered, uh, of, of psychological effects on foster children or on adopted children or on broken families, the whole nine yards. My appreciation for what you're doing, Bobby, has gone through the roof this week. And I want you to know, in my eyes, you're a hero. And we are honored to know you, honored to have you part of this family. And keep doing what you're doing because you are literally transforming lives right in your home. So thank you for that. Today I'm going to talk about the love of God. I'm going to talk about the lavish love of God. And Bobby has got it figured out because that's what she does every day. She loves those kids. <laughs> Amen? But I, I've been doing a lot of reading and I've, I've been kind of narrowing down um, this list of psychological or emotional uh, traumas that these kids go through, and I've tried to limit it down to just the kind of the core, core ones, just so you to understand it. And I, and I want to share this this morning because I think it ties in quite beautifully to how oftentimes we actually see our relationship with God. And so I want to share just a list of them this morning. Um, so I'm going to just throw them out. The first one is this, a sense of rejection or abandonment. Feelings of grief and loss. 
low self-esteem or self-image, guilt and shame, self-destructive behaviors, anxiety disorders, irrational fears, potentially later on in life, intimacy issues, use of control in order to protect themselves, and trauma-related effects such as PTSD. And what's interesting is in a study from Harvard, it actually talks about so many of these psychological issues actually affect their core identity. And as soon as I was reading that list, I started thinking about my own life in church. And I started thinking about my own journey with God the Father. And I literally remember back to these thoughts and these questions that would come to my mind as I started to think about my relationship with God. And I want to read to you the list of questions that psychologists have presented as the top questions that these kids go through and ask internally all the time. And as soon as I started reading them, I thought, that's exactly what I did. Different scenario, different situation. But when I was struggling in my walk with God, this is exactly the questions internally that I started asking myself. You may hear some of these questions this morning, and you may say to yourself, wow, that's exactly what I think when I think about my relationship with God and, and how he loves me or sometimes how I feel like he doesn't love me or that I haven't done enough or whatever those issues are. So I want to read these questions to you. Number one in every psychologist list was this, is there's something wrong with me. There must be something wrong with me. Am I not worth fighting for? Am I unlovable? Why do I feel so different than others? Who am I? Who do I belong to? Where do I fit in? How could I ever trust someone? That's the top list of questions that kids in the foster and adopted care system ask. And yet I believe that these are the same questions a lot of us ask whenever we are not on good terms with the Father. As soon as things aren't good, has God abandoned me? As soon as things aren't good, I feel guilty for what I've done, and maybe the Father doesn't love me anymore. Where do I fit in because I've messed up? You don't understand my story. You don't know where I've been. How many of us struggle with the same things? Maybe not today, but maybe at one point in your life you had some of these thoughts. As a result, we often question our very identity in God. And what I believe God wants to get across to you this morning is that you are loved by God. You are desperately loved by God. That he would chase you down for the rest of your life because of his love for you. Sometimes that's annoying. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? God, would you leave me alone? (laughs) I hate when I go to Walmart and I run into that Christian again. Ah, You know, go away. The problem is, is he knows where you are. He's got a GPS on your spot. He knows how to get people to you. I don't understand how he does it, but I'm so grateful that he didn't stop pursuing me. I don't have a story of perfection. I don't have a story of holiness. I have a story that's messed up. But God never stopped pursuing me. I'm here today not because I got it all together. I'm here today because God chased me. And at one point, I waved the white flag. I surrender. I know you're not going to stop, Lord. I surrender. 
And I believe for some of you this morning, the only thing God's asking you to do is to get your white flag up. I surrender, Lord. I can't do this on my own. I can't keep going this way. I can't keep thinking these thoughts. I can't keep living with this mental anguish all the time. Thinking about how I am and whether I'm even lovable anymore. You are lavishly loved by God. I find John's writing just so incredibly strategic. We literally have just finished chapter 2 where we're talking about the battle. The battle. The battle. Getting through a battle. Fighting the enemy. Understanding who we are. Understanding and getting the Word of God in us. But battling and right out of the battle, John comes to chapter 3 and he says, "Um, and by the way, in case you have some battle scars, can I remind you You are loved. You are loved. You are God's favorite. He said, well, I thought I was. We all are. I don't know how it works. But in God's economy, we're all his favorite. Isn't that awesome? And he's chasing and he's pursuing. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. Henry Blackaby, I love this quote. It says, to be loved by God is the highest relationship, the highest achievement, and the highest position In life, you are loved by God. And as a result, you have the highest relationship, the highest achievement, and the highest position in life. Thought one today is you are lavishly loved by God. God lavishly loves you. We're going to kind of flesh this out a little bit, but I want you to start with the very first verse of chapter 3, And it sets us up for what I'm going to say this morning. It says this, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. I love the word behold. He gets your attention right off the bat. When this word behold, it literally means a command. It's not a suggestion. There's actually, when you look at the original Greek, this word actually has a connection to it of a sense of urgency that he desperately wants you to understand what he's about to say. Behold, listen up, get it. This is important. Emoji, 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 thumbs up. You know what I'm saying? This is what he's doing. He couldn't use it in the Bible, but in his mind, he's emojiing all the way down the line. This is what he's doing. He's saying, behold, I want you to get what I'm about to say. It's interesting that it also heightens the sense of enthusiasm about what he's about to describe. He wants you to get excited. It speaks to something in this moment that you're going to actually tangibly sense or feel in your life. Behold. Got it? What manner is a word that describes an atmosphere of wonder, an atmosphere of amazement, or something very surprising? It's literally where we get the word to lavish from. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. I want, to, I want you to look at the NIV version with me this morning. It says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. I want you to hear the definition of the word lavish this morning. It's beautiful. It says this, To be lavish love is extravagant, unrestrained, excessive, more than enough, very abundant, holding nothing back, something rich beyond your imagination. 
How many are ready for that love today? There's been so much controversy over the song Reckless Love. I don't know if you've heard about it at all. Just rumors floating around, a whole bunch of people that don't like the word reckless. But I have news for you. You can pretty much put the word reckless in here too. Reckless doesn't mean his love is reckless. It means the pursuit that he has for you could be reckless because that's how much he loves you. He's willing to pursue you and get through anything to get to you. That is his love this morning. Know today that the love of God that he has for you is lavish. It is extravagant. It is unrestrained. It is excessive. That is the love that God has for you this morning. Are you starting to see a picture of the love of God for your life? Amen? This was my major breakthrough because my entire life, I lived in such a way that I felt like I had to earn or, or buy or win over someone's affection or love. And, and I didn't understand that the simplicity of the gospel is that I just have to receive it. So that, that doesn't make any sense. Don't we have to do something? Well, yeah, after. After, we have to pursue relationship the same way he pursues us. It's 2A. It's good. But this word lavish, this word love that is used, it literally means a love given without measure that is never dependent upon our response. Oh, that changes the ballgame, doesn't it? It's God's willful affection toward us. His willful affection toward us. And about you, uh, I'm going to just speak to the men for a second. This is a great sermon for men. I don't know about you if you're feeling the same way I do. You know, when we have men's ministry meetings and we get together, you know, we love to talk about being the bride of Christ. It's like, so, it's like the topic of conversation. Guys, we're the bride of Christ. Guys, we're just the bride of Christ. I just feel like I'm the bride of Christ. It's so awesome. You know, sometimes you just got to state the obvious. We're all thinking it. Like, uh, yeah, I'm lavishly loved by God. It's awesome. You know, I don't like chick flicks. I'd rather go see a war movie. <laughs> you know what I'm just saying? You know, that's probably what you're thinking. But I have news for you this morning. If the only thing you see with love is nurture, you've missed it. Love is validation. Love is empowerment. Love is strength. Love is joy for the journey. I, I, I know about you men, but I think we need some of that. So I want you to know this morning that this is as much for you as it is for anybody else. Amen? All right. I want to jump into a, a couple of verses here, and I'll just let the Bible describe his love to you. I won't do, I won't do it justice myself, so... I'll just let God's word do it. Romans chapter 8, verse 35, the first part, it says, Who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? That's Jesus. Absolutely no one, for nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love towards us. Nothing in the universe. I don't know about you, but it would have been enough for me to say no one on the earth has the power. But he went one step further. He went all Avengers on us. And he went the Avengers universe and said, There's nothing in the world, in the universe... That could ever, 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 ever diminish his love toward us. You say, well, you don't know what I do. Well, he does. And he still says this to you. You say, you don't understand. I haven't been faithful to him. It's okay. He's faithful to you. 
And it's because of his faithfulness that draws us back to his side. Amen? It goes on in verse 38 in Romans 8. It says this, So now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love, just in case you missed it the first time. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, or dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. There is no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus Christ, the anointed one. Are you getting it? You starting to see a picture of this love, this pursuing love? I want you to understand that there's no limit to this love. There's no lid to this love. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19 in the message, it says this, And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives full in the fullness of God. Some of you this morning will say, well, man, if you knew my track record, if you knew the mistakes I made, first of all, you don't know my story fully. So if you knew my story, you'd probably have a different perspective on what God can forgive and not forgive. Reality is, you can forgive everything. But God is the God of second chances. And third, and fourth, and fifth, and sixth, and it just keeps going on and on and on. That doesn't mean it gives us a right to not live for God. It doesn't mean that we can make an excuse for our life, but it does mean that the moment we reach out, wave the white flag, he is there. The moment he is there, he brings freedom. The moment he is there, he brings healing. The moment he is there, he brings identity. The moment you say, God help me. There's a story in the Old Testament, and I don't necessarily recommend that anyone goes out tomorrow if you're single and marry a prostitute. I don't recommend it. Um, But for some reason, in God's infinite wisdom, there's a prophet, a minor prophet in the Old Testament named Hosea, where he was specifically asked by God to marry a prostitute. Now, I'm theologically still trying to get that one figured out. I am putting out my first book next Sunday on... No, I'm kidding. I'm not doing that. Um, But there's a simple reason why God did this. He wanted to show the nation of Israel that no matter what you do to run away from me, I will never stop pursuing you. So I want you to look at this verse. Hosea chapter 3, verse 1, and it says this. Then God ordered me, start all over. Love your wife again. He had just caught her prostituting herself. Okay? I want you to know the, 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 the context here. That when Hosea walked out into the market and he ran into, say, 50 different men at the market, probably 30 of them had already been with her. That's embarrassing when you're going out in public and everyone knows, oh, that's the guy. That's the prophet that married the prostitute. Oh, that's a great reputation. He goes, love your wife again, your wife who's in bed with her latest boyfriend. Wow, your cheating wife. Love her the way I, God, love the Israelite people, even as they flirt and party with every God that takes their fancy. God is the God of second chances. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing, no matter where you've come from, God is the God of second chances. But why is he giving it to us? He gives it to us not just to have for ourselves, but to give away. And this is 
where I'm going to transition next week. But I wanted to share one verse to set us up for next week. It says in this, in 1 John 3, 16, 17, it says, This is how we've come to understand and experience love. Christ sacrificed his life for us. This is why we ought to live sacrificially for our fellow believers. And not just be out for ourselves. If you see some brother or sister in need and have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? It disappears. And you made it disappear. We can actually make it disappear by not being a conduit for that love to pass through us to somebody else. It disappears. That's scary to me. I don't want that. So the second thing is this. God's lavish love makes you secure. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to start at that verse again. It says, what marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We're called children of God. That's who we really are. But that's also why the world doesn't recognize us or take us seriously. Because it has no idea who he is or what he's up to. John 1.12 says that we, are, we have the right to be called the children of God. Romans 8.21 says that we have glorious liberty or freedom as children of God. Jeremiah 31.3 says that God loves his kids with an everlasting love. That's the heart of God for you. It's without limit. Exodus 19.5 says that we are God's special treasures as his children. Wow. Jerry Bridges, great author, uh, says this, No detail of your life is too insignificant for your heavenly Father's attention. He knows. He hears your heart's cry. He knows what you're crying about, what you're upset about. He knows what you're worrying about. He knows what you're fearful of. He knows everything. Because he already knows, trust him with that information. Share it with him. Make him a part of that process. Amen? 1 John chapter 3, going into verse 2, it says this, My loved ones who have been adopted into God's family, we are officially His children now. No matter what anyone says to you, you're God's kids. And because of that, we're not living for His approval, but we're living from His approval. Amen? The third one is this, God's lavish love helps you to live pure. Here's what I've realized in my life. Number one, God's love is a great accountability piece when it comes to living pure. I don't know about you, but when God comes and he just expresses himself in this incredible lavish love, you get so overwhelmed by the goodness of God that something inside of you says, I can't do that. I want to do that, but I can't do that. I just can't do it. I just can't because I want my relationship with my heavenly father to remain secure and sure. That's what I want. means there's certain things that we can't do. How do we know? Because when we do them, there's, this, there's a distance. How many have ever had an issue with an individual and there's a distance in your relationship? Right? God wants to make sure that that never happens between you and him. Let's move on to verse 3 to 7, and it says this, All those who focus their hopes on him... In his coming, seek to purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who lives a life of habitual sin is living in moral anarchy. That's what sin is. You realize that he came to eradicate sins, that there is not the slightest bit of sin in him. The ones who live in an intimate relationship with him do not persist in sin, but anyone who persists in sin has not seen and does not know the real Jesus. Children, don't let anyone pull one over on you. 
The one doing the right thing is just imitating Jesus, the righteous one. I want to imitate him. I want to live like him, but I also want to love like him. Amen? That's my heart. All those who focus their hopes, that's what that verse says, literally means to have a continual possession or to never let go. Think about God's love for you and that you are his prize and that you're a continual possession and that he's never going to let you go. And some days that annoys us. (laughs) But it's out of his love that he does it. Amen? It's out of that love. Billy Graham said this, God proved his love on the cross when Christ hung and bled and died and it was God saying to the world, I love you. But you know what's incredible about this love? Sometimes we think about it from the standpoint of receiving. But you you have to understand that love is also an overcoming force. And I love what he says here in verses 8 and 9. It actually talks about God's love can destroy the work of the devil. Not just put it aside, not postpone it like a Haiti team, but it destroys the work of the devil. Verse 8 and 9, it says this, but when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who's been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who've been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning. Let me put it to you like this. Sin's an event. The moment you repent for it, it's just simply an event. And it's gone and it's done away with. But if you keep on sinning, that event turns into a habit, which turns into a behavior, which turns into a character. Okay? God's family do not make a practice of sinning, verse 9, because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. They know their father. They know their relationship. And because they love their father, they can't hurt him. And they don't want to disappoint him. That's the heart of God as a response I love the Passion Translation for this verse. This is awesome. It says this, But the one who indulges in a sinful life is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God was revealed was to undo and destroy the works of the devil. Everyone who is truly God's child will refuse to keep sinning because God's seed remains within him. And he is unable to continue sinning because he's been fathered by God himself. I love that. That is awesome. God's seed. One version says God's genes are in you. His genes, his seed is in you. Paul, in describing the same battle and the same process of victory to the church at Rome, who was under, I tell you, I think the church in Rome, even though they made a lot of mistakes and did a lot of other things, the church in Rome, I think, understood this identity piece more than probably any other church. Because they were a threat to be killed by Nero at any moment, all the time. There was a threat on their life because they were not in uh, a Christian-friendly zone. They were under threat of death their entire life. And this was what Paul said to the church at Rome. The stories about the way you are living in obedience to God have traveled to all the churches. So celebrate your faithfulness to God that is being displayed in our lives, or in your lives, Seek wisdom about the good life and remain innocent when it comes to evil. If you do this, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet soon. 
May the grace of our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, the liberating king, be ever present with you. I want to end with a thought. As I've really been trying to think about this whole concept of love, not only from my own experience, but also from my role as a father. And I don't think I'm a perfect father. As a matter of fact, I think I'm far from it. But, I, but I've understood one very, very basic thought. I love my kids because they're my kids. That's it. Not because of what they do for me, although it's very helpful when they clean. Not because of anything that they could say to me, although it really is nice when they say nice things. There's no condition on my love for them. I love them simply because they're my kids. God loves you today simply because you're His. One of the things that I I can honestly say has probably been one of the most heartbreaking things that I have experienced and that I've seen in my own Christian journey is what religion tells you to do. Religion tells you to impress. Religion tells you if you just do more, then you'll be more accepted by God. Religion says, you know, if you are, uh, you know, all of these things, and if you say amen at the right moment in, in, the, in the sermon, then the pastor's going to like you. Good one. All right, yeah, yeah. But relationship says, I love you because you're mine. Our kids brought home a bunch of Valentines, and, and so many of them say, would you be mine? God himself is sending a Valentine to you right now and saying, I love you simply because you're mine. Now, do we respond out of obedience? Yes, but because of love. Do we respond in a way that's going to live pure? Yes, because we love the relationship and we love the Father and we want to make sure that we're doing everything to live according to His standard in our lives. I love my kids simply because they're mine. Too many people have a misconstrued thought and concept of God that we have to do, 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 impress, 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 do all these different things in order for God to love you. The reality is, is that's an absolute lie of the enemy. Why does God love you this morning? Because you're his. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.